Job chapter 1, the word of God tells us there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and escheweth evil. The next few verses here, they tell us basically according to modern day standards that Job is a multi-billionaire. I've 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 taught that before, so I'm not going to spend time there. But with all he has and the wool and all things there, you have this multi-billionaire. And in verse number five, it says that in the days of their feasting were going about, that Job sent and sanctified them. It's talking about his seven sons and his three daughters that the scripture just told us that he had. He rose up early in the morning. He offered burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be. It it, it just might be that there's a possibility. It just might be that my sons might have sinned. Somehow, something that they did in their mind, in their heart, in their way, they might have cursed God. And so he sacrificed every day and said, thus did Job continually. So we see that Job is this perfect servant of the Lord that he sacrifices every day just in case. He has committed no sin and he has done nothing wrong in God's eyes. God's the one writing this. This is a man's writing. In God's eyes, he's done nothing wrong. But if you look down at verse number eight, God is talking to Satan. And it's God that brings up the message here, brings up the name of Job. The Lord said unto Satan, has thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. Perfect and upright man. One that feareth God and escheweth evil. That's what God said about Job. Satan answered, boy, somebody, you need to underline, highlight, go back, study out. You need to pay attention. Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house? And all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. The devil says, hey, the reason Job is so faithful is because of what you've given him. The reason Job is so faithful is because you've blessed him so greatly. But here's what I want you to miss. And besides all that, you put a hedge of protection around him and his stuff that I cannot cross. You've put a border. You've put a hedge about Job's stuff. And you've not allowed me anywhere near him. Verse number 11, the devil says to God, put forth thine hand. Touch all that he hath, he'll curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. Everything that he has, all of his sheep, all of his oxen, all of his camels, All of his asses, all of his children, all of his household. I remove my hedge of protection from all of the stuff. But you can't touch him. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. I want to look for just a few minutes this morning. When life just doesn't make sense. God, thank you so much for loving us in spite of us. God, thank you for the precious blood of Jesus applied that washed away our sins, that you've written our name in Calvary. You've given us an eternal life. God, that our name is written that can never be erased. Thank you, Father, for that precious blood. Thank you, God, for your sweet Holy Spirit in this place. I pray, God, would you take this, these your words, Father. I pray you'd speak to us, God. I pray you'd help each one of us to walk out, having been touched by the hand of God, having been moved and motivated, and have it been lifted, God, I pray right now. God, I pray you'd give help to the helpless. 
I pray, God, you'd give hope to the hopeless. I pray you'd give strength to the weak. God, I pray you'd lift up that one that is weary. God, I pray you'd move in a mighty way upon every life, upon every ear that hears from your precious word. I pray, God, you'd help us, Father, above all, to be pleasing to you in everything that we do. We love you, God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. So this morning, <clears throat> there, there are many people sitting in here, and there are many people sitting out there that are hurting. That there's people going through, through some stuff, and there, there's no doubt that everyone has struggled. There, there's not a person that can hear me anywhere that has not struggled. But there's some people that are struggling. Those of us that have struggled can say, thank you, God, for the blood applied. Thank you for the other side of the valley. Thank you for the other side of the problems. But there's some that's in the valley right now. Now, because of the struggles of life, I don't believe that there's a person anywhere than the sound of my voice that has never asked God the question, why? Why? Why, why would I go through that? Why would that happen to my family? Why, why would that happen to such a servant of God, a saint that was doing all they were doing? Well, I, I don't understand what the truth is. Life is full of struggles. Every, every single day is just one more opportunity for a struggle. For those people who say, well, the reason you're struggling is because you're not close enough to God. The reason you're struggling is you're not reading your Bible right. You're not praying right. You're not living right. You need to shut your lying mouth and read the word of the living God. Because that's not what the book says. It says that Job is a perfect man, upright, that escheweth evil. He's searching, he's searching for God and everything he's got. But he went through struggles. So there's people that want to claim it off. Well, you just, it's kind of like Job's friends, right? I'm not going to go on teaching, but Job's friends came and they kept me out. Oh, come on, Job, you know you had to have done something. Why God didn't just do that? They're the reasons Job got mad. Job wasn't mad at God until the friends come in. And finally, he says, miserable comforters are ye. Anybody know that a lot of times our good friends can be miserable comforters? But God's not. <laughs> Those people that, that think that, that they're a good enough Christian, that they'll never suffer hurt in this life, well, they're a better Christian than Jesus because Jesus lived this life and he hurt a lot. Jesus went through a, a, a lot of pain. For, for those who think that they can live this life and, and, and not have any problems, well, they'd have to be better than Job. Because you see what the Bible says about Job, but you see the problems that Job went through. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go home and read Job. And if you really want to know why you don't get angry with God, read chapter 38, 39, and 40 and he'll straighten you out. For those who think they're going to live in this life and they're not going to endure failures, well, they'd have to be a better man than David, a man after God's own heart. Because if you read the Psalms, the Psalms are, are full of the struggles and even the failures of David. Those people in this life that, that think they can then live in this world and, and not endure difficulties in their, in their relationship with God, well, they'd have to be a better man than Abraham, the friend of God. The father of the Hebrew nation, because there's multiple difficulties in his life. And as a matter of fact, you'll find on more than one occasion, he doubted God's ability to take care of him. Not in his words. Anybody listening to this? Not in his words, in his actions. It's what he did 
that spoke volumes when he turned and went into Egypt, saying that God couldn't take care of him. And he went into a place and, and began to lie about who his wife was. So, so, so for those who, who think they can live in this life and, and you live the good Christian life and not have any fears, well, you'd have to be better than Elijah, the prophet who called fire down from heaven, licked up the sacrifice, had the 450 false prophets of Baal killed, because after that, he ran and hid himself in a cave of fear from one woman named Jezebel. Bottom line is, life is full of struggles. I hope you guys got your bulletin. Anybody get a bulletin? You got notes on the back. If you want to use them, it's up to you. I don't know. There's a fill-in if you want to use those, but it's back there. Life is full of struggles. God is not the author of making life terrible. But terrible things do happen. And when terrible things happen, God can take even the terrible things and accomplish something through it. Dr. Larry Crabb, he's a psychologist, Christian author. One of his books, you want to read it, is When God's Way Makes No Sense. Anybody hear that title? When God's Way Makes No Sense. He says he grew up in a Christian home. He had a good family. He had a good life. He, 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 had, he had everything going his way. But as a teenage boy, he had a real problem with stuttering. He said, I began to pray. He said, I read scriptures. He said, I prayed about it. I handed it over to God. I even claimed the promises according to Moses. I claimed according to Moses that God, when you give me an opportunity to speak, that I will speak clearly and I will not stutter. Then at 16 years of, of age, he was called to pray in public. And he said, I stuttered and stumbled and scratched my way. And he said, I couldn't get words out. And he said, when I got through, I was completely embarrassed. He said, I left that prayer meeting and I asked God one simple question, why? Why would you do that to me? Why would you not enter? All I'm trying to do is pray. Why would you allow me to go through that? My life was going so well. Now I'm full of shame and, and embarrassment. And here's what he said. And I really don't know what good you are. He said, I'm not really sold on this Christian life anymore. Pretty bold for a 16-year-old, huh? I wonder how many of us have felt that way. Here's what he said. He said, I went from being a happy Christian to being a skeptical Christian. So I began studying psychology because Christianity was not giving me the answers that I was looking for. Anybody ever sought answers and they didn't come when you thought they should? Come on, y'all gonna have to help me out here. You got to show me paying attention. Anybody ever sought God? Here's another one for you pay. God, I am praying. I am asking. I am seeking. I am trying to hold on. But in our hearts, we truly felt like Christianity is not giving me the answer that I am looking for. Why can things be so hard. He thought psychology would give him all the answers he's looking for. But after years of studying psychology and five years of clinical science, he said he came away disillusioned because psychology doesn't deal with the core issues of the soul. Amen on that one. He said psychology doesn't deal with things like what is really wrong with people. <laughs> That's a million dollar question, right? Tell what's wrong with people. We're born separated from God. 
We're born with sin, with the seed of sin. We're born needing to be born again. We need that second piece. He said psychology doesn't deal with the fact that every one of us will one day meet death. Appointed unto man wants to die after this to judgment. There's a judgment day coming. He said psychology doesn't deal with the core problem that people face. He said, I asked this question, what good is God in this life? So to find the answer... He turned to the Bible. He said, I figured if there really is a God, and God really did write me a letter, then I better make that letter the central piece of my life. Here's what he really said. This is a quote from him. I decided to give God a second chance. And I'm sure God was eternally grateful for the opportunity. Anybody anybody ever felt that way? You tried it and you decided God wasn't doing it your way, so now you're going to fix it your way. But eventually you come crawling back and say, God, here I am again. My way didn't work out quite so well. So he became immersed in scripture. He said he became immersed in theology. And, and God began blessing his life immensely. He began, his books began to sell. And he began to get speaking engagements. And all of a sudden, life is good and money is good. And everything's going great since he turned his life back to the scripture. And he thought, man, that's all it took. Turn my life back to the scripture. Everything's good. And then everything changed. See, you can't lose your focus on why everything's going really good. He said that when everything changed and he began studying, he said what he realized is that God doesn't necessarily want us living in this blessed life. And it's okay with that. We understand blessings are good. There's nothing wrong with money is how you view money. There's nothing wrong with blessings. It's just don't get caught. He, he, He said he understood that God doesn't necessarily want him living in this blessed life. God wants us living in a transforming life. God has something better in mind than what we know. The the truth is, every one of us as a Christian, we we know some of the same things. We we know that Jesus Christ paid for our sin. We know that Jesus conquered the grave and that he has prepared a place for us, a place that, that we call heaven. That's a fantastic deal for somebody like me. To wash away my sins, to call me a child of God, To give me a home in heaven? That's a fantastic deal for somebody like me. If God never did anything else for me good on the top side of this planet, I already could never thank him for all he's done. I already could never say thank you enough for the very fact that he took away my sins. If he never did anything else, God has prepared a home for us and an eternal life where there's no more sickness. Somebody ought to say an amen somewhere. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more bills to pay. It's paid in full. God God has prepared this place and we're very thankful for our salvation. We're we're very thankful for, for the promise that we hold for eternity, but what about the space between salvation and homegoing? Well, what about this span called Christian life? Well, what, what does that time frame look like? Why do things have to be so hard? You know, John 10, 10, Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life. And he said, I'm coming, they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. See, the problem with a lot of Christians, they get caught up on that. 
Christians are really good at pulling out one-liners that suits our need. We're really good at pulling out one-liners that meets me where I am. Well, I want it. And the Bible says, asking it shall be given. So I'm asking, where is it? We're really good at taking things out of context from in the beginning to amen, breaking down one line. And so a lot of Christians will take that word more abundantly and they will apply that to this life. They think that means I ought to be abundant in this life. I ought to have plenty of money in this life, plenty of blessings in this life, and everything ought to be good in, in this life. That's not what Jesus promises. Jesus said in John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, y'all listening, ye shall have not you might have not there's a possibility of not there's a reasonable chance ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world so in his book dr crab he talks about this woman who who came in to his office and he describes her as one of the most joyful women he's ever met and he said he's talking to this woman he said he, he was really surprised by the things that she had to say he said she comes in, she starts telling a story, and she tells about when her brother was sick. And her brother had this, this incurable disease. There was no way he was going to live. Doctors told him there was nothing they could do, and he was in incredible pain. And he stayed in pain all the time. There was nothing that the doctors could do for the pain. And so she began praying, God, if you're not going to heal my brother, Will you take him quickly? Anybody ever change your prayers? If you're not going to heal my brother, please don't let him suffer like this. Please don't let him lay there crying out in pain. If you're gonna, and, and for weeks it goes on. In the middle of it, her son dies in the middle of the night. For no reason at all. What they determined when they did the autopsy had some kind of condition that had they just discovered the condition as treated with medicine, he lives a long, full, happy life and nothing matters. But because they did not sense it, her son, who went to bed perfectly healthy, died in the middle of the night. And her brother, who she has asked God to take, is still laying there suffering in pain and agony. And here's what she said, God, why are you allowing this to happen when you have the power to change it? She asked this question, God, are you up to anything good in my life? Anybody ever feel that way? God, are you up to anything good in my life? In the midst of all that, her dad is described as a very godly man. And in his early 80s, he commits suicide. And her brother is still struggling in the hospital. But Dr. Crabb describes her in the book as one of the most joyful people that he's ever met. So he asked her this question. How is it that you're so joyful? She said, I haven't always been so joyful. Truth is, this has been a pretty miserable life for me. The question that I had to wrestle with was this. If you're really a good God, and I believe that you are. I mean, you gave your son Jesus for us. But you said that you would not hold good things from us. But you've withheld a lot of things that I call good. You've withheld a lot of good things from me. So what I want to know is what do you define as good things? This is what the woman says she concluded. What God is up to in our lives is to produce little Christ. What God is up to in our lives 
is to produce little Christ. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. It is God's desire to take those of us who came to him with all of our sin and all of our guilt and, and all of our shame to, to take us and, and cleanse away all of that, wash it away through the blood of Jesus, and then create inside of us someone who loves others as ourselves and someone who puts Christ on display by the way we love others. She said, when I got a hold of the fact that the greatest joy in my life is in pleasing God and not in worldly pleasures. It changed the way I look at things. But here's what she said. It's not a joy that eliminates sorrow, but a joy that sustains me through my sorrows in this life. Thank you to our media team. You guys are doing a fantastic job, social media, Facebook, Instagram, what you're putting out. And I love what y'all are doing, and it's amazing. But when I saw that come up on Instagram Thursday or Friday and biting, I love you here, and it, and it had that, I thought, boy, I wish I would have said that. And on that, it looks like I did, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm not that far along yet. That, that's a quote from an unnamed woman. Actually, she's given a different name, so you don't know who she is, but it does any good. She says, it's not a joy that eliminates sorrows, but it's a joy that sustains me through my sorrows. See, Right now, there, there's somebody maybe in here. I don't, I don't know. They, they may be out there probably shouting at the screen right now. How do you do that? How do you find that kind of joy? How do you find what can sustain me through what I'm going through right now? How, how do you wake up with a smile on your face when you feel like you lived in hell all night long? How, 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 do, you, how do you do it? Dr. Crabb says, Sometimes we try to convince ourselves that God is enough. And we try to bury our pain or pretend like it doesn't exist. He says, if we're going to meet the God who loves us, he meets us where we are. Anybody still listening? Anybody still listening? Some, somebody needs. He, he said, he meets us where we are. Not where we pretend to be. Not where we wish we were. He meets us right where we are. <laughs> in all of our hurt, in all of our brokenness, in all of our fears, not where we pretend to be, but where we are. And then he said, don't pretend that you're doing better than you are because when you acknowledge the struggles that are going on in your life, including the struggles in your faith, and you still turn to God in the middle of your deepest fears or your deepest pain, that is when you meet God in a way that will sustain you through all of your struggles. So Dr. Crabb asked the question, how does God define good? And he used this quote from C.S. Lewis to answer the question. If you put first things first, second things are thrown in. Any of you that are note takers, you're going to want to find. I, I wanted to put all these quotes on here for you. There just wasn't enough room unless I printed you a poster board. But the, these quotes, you may want to go back. But, but this one, right there, there's some stuff right here. This is, in, this is from C.S. Lewis. You're, you're going to want to write. Some of, somebody's going to want to write this down. This is going to help somebody. If you put first things first, 
second things are thrown in. If you put second things first, you'll lose both. Second things includes everything but loving God and loving others. Second things includes everything but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God, love God, love others. That is the purpose of our existence. Seek God, love God, love others. That is the purpose of our existence. Everything else is second things. In our text, Job is described by God as perfect and upright. That means that he fears God, he honors God, he worships God, he obeys God, he stays away from evil things, he's doing everything right. Yet God allows this, this situation to come by in his life. It's important that we remember God didn't take away the things he had. God didn't kill his children. God didn't cause this turmoil. What God did was remove his hand and the devil's the one that did it. But God had to take his hand off first. Job didn't do anything wrong. Yet God set out to make him better. Boy, that's a mouthful, ain't it? I've preached a lot of messages from the book of Job. It's an incredible study. You will never, if that's all you ever preached on, you'd never exhaust it. And there's a lesson for every day of our lives. I, I preached a, a message, I think it was a few years ago, but I preached a message on uh, a day without God. Anybody remember a day without God? Job went from multi-billionaire to beggar in one day. Job went from a man with a mansion full of servants to homeless. In one day. Worst of all, Job went from a man who had seven sons and three daughters to childless in one day. See, that's what one day in your life would look like without God's hand upon you. That's what one day of life looks like when God lifts a protective hedge and lets the devil touch it. About a year and a half ago, I, I preached a message it was, if he's good enough for Job, he's good enough for me. In that message, I used a quote from Dr. John Phillips. It says, will Job's experience triumph over his theology? Or will his theology triumph over his experience? Theology is simply the study of the nature of God. It's the study of the wisdom of God, the study of the things of God. And, and so this is how I view it in my own words. It is my faith greater than my experiences in this life? Or, or are my experiences greater than my faith? Do I trust God to get me through where I am in any given circumstance? See, men, many of you, many of you, you have a strong faith in God because of the many things that God's already brought you through. You have a strong faith in God because you take the things that, that he brought you through and you combine them with the scriptures and what you have and you have a, a great faith in God. But at some point in most of our lives, we're going to face these life-changing situations that will force us to look at the same questions that Dr. Phillips asked about Job. Will our theology, our, our faith, will our belief system rise above what we're going through? 
or will we allow the situation to rise above what we believe? There are lessons to be learned in the night seasons that cannot be learned in the day seasons. So here, here's what I take. I've shared this with you before. This is what I take in a nutshell, the teachings of Job. Faith is not receiving from God the things that I want. It's accepting from God whatever he sends. So back to the original question. Have you ever asked God why? Have you, have you ever or, or are you going through anything in life and you simply you can't understand why would God have allowed that? Why, why, why would we go through that? Why, why would God allow these things to happen in my life? C.S. Lewis said, God is making a little Christ in you. Let me give you one more scripture. Let me give you the same, same exact thing from a different perspective. Jeremiah spoke it. I know what time it is. We sang the song again. Was it worth it? Jeremiah said in chapter 18, verse number 3, that I went down to the potter's house. Behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay. Don't, don't miss this verse. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel that seemed good to the potter. I want you to understand what that says. The, the potter. The same potter made the first vessel. And it doesn't say that that vessel's not any good. It says that the potter made a vessel and the same potter took that vessel and he marred it. He unfashioned that vessel that he made to make it again another vessel as seemed good to who? The creator of the vessel. The, the, the potter himself. God has not forgotten you. God has not. God will not forsake you at any time, in any trial, through any situation. God hasn't taken his hands off of you. If you are on the spinning wheel right now, you are in the potter's hands. If you are on the wheel, he has both hands on you, shaping you, making you into a vessel that seems good to the potter. One of the most painful places to be might be on the wheel because you're getting bent and shaped and molded and made. But if you're on the wheel, both hands of the father is on you. Man, I want to ask you guys. Man, come on up. Come on up and get ready. I, I want to ask. I want to ask everybody if you just if you just stand. If you're on live stream, don't turn us off yet. I'm not through. There's something in it for you, just like there's something in it for those of us right here in this room. There are some of you who have something in your life and you need help. You need God to intervene. You need strength, you need healing, you, you, whatever it is you need, you know. And God says, cast all your cares upon me, for he careth for you. Whatever you got, maybe it's yours, maybe it's on behalf of somebody else. If you're not hurting, you know somebody that is. One of the greatest gifts we have is the ability to intercede into the throne room of God on somebody else's behalf. So I'm going to ask if you would to find a place in this altar. 
Bring your problems, bring your cares, bring that of somebody else, bring somebody that you're praying for and ask God to do what God does. I do want to ask you before we sing, if there's anybody you've never trusted Christ, it's the most important decision you're ever going to make. Somebody knows that you've been running long enough. Somebody knows that God's been calling you, dealing with you, whispering to you in the night. I don't know, maybe in here, maybe you're out there, but somebody knows that God's reaching out to you and you've run long enough. Today is the day. Today is the day. Father, I am a sinner. It is that simple. Father, I am a sinner. Father, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Wash away my sins. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Save my soul. In Jesus' name. Say, it can't be that simple. It has to be that simple. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. Not by works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. It's the gift that's being offered to you. None other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. It's the only way. Some of you this morning, somebody somewhere, you need to stop running. You need to surrender your heart to Christ and ask Him to save your soul on this day. For somebody else, you just need to cast out your burdens. If you don't have one right now, you see them. They do. They do. Pray for them. Pray for them. We're going to sing a song. I shared with the band this morning. This song is like the Psalms. Y'all know what the Psalms are? Yeah, sure. It's 150 chapters in the middle of the Bible, right? No, the Psalms, the majority of them are songs written to music. No, they are prayers written to music. Some people call them poems written to music, but here's reality. The Psalms are prayers written to music. They are singing prayers to God. That's what this song is. This song sings a prayer to God on your behalf and on their behalf. God said he inhabits the praises of his people. I believe worship changes things. Anybody believe that? These guys are going to sing a song. We're going to worship. Pray for them. That is greater than whatever you're facing. There's one name that's greater than the enemy. One name that's greater than the sickness. One name that's greater than the trial. Speak the name of Jesus. Father, thank you so much for loving us so much. Thank you, God, that when life doesn't make sense, I don't have to make sense out of it. I just know that you can take my mess and make a message. I just know that you can take my test and make it into a testimony. You can take our troubles and our trials and turn them into a witness of your goodness and your glory. You can take what doesn't make sense at all and make it into a masterpiece. 
You can take a sinner just like me and make it into the image of a little Christ. Help us, Father God, to be what you'd have us to be. God, I pray for every hurting soul in this place. God, I pray you touch each one according to their own needs. Pour your spirit out upon them, God. Give grace and mercy, power and strength according to your holy name. We love you, God. But we thank and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I kept you.